We are in the second week of this series called Mirror, Mirror. And here's the challenge. This is why we're using a mirror as a, a little bit of a setup, is when you look into the mirror of God's Word, what do you see? And, and last week, Tony talk, talked about, he brought us into the, words to help, the Word to help us see that certainly it, it shows us, right, that we're sinners, that, that we get that. But that's not the message for those who follow Christ. The message is we are forgiven, loved children of God. That's the image that we want to see when we look into God's Word because we are that. We have been, thank God, redeemed as we just sang. And so we have this important truth today to, to talk about, another important image or reflection out of God's Word. And we want to make sure that we understand it fully because I believe with all my heart that this truth this reflection of God's Word in your life could change the trajectory of your life. Well, before we begin, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your Word and the power that it brings to change us. And we just ask that we could know you more fully as a result of our study, that we could trust you more completely, that, that we could follow you more obediently. Lord, let the truth, the truth of your word and your spirit working in our hearts do that in us today. And all the people assembled for worship today said, amen. Well, you have a sermon notes page today if you'd like to follow along. There's a few fill in the blanks and the scripture references have all been printed out uh, there for your convenience. As I said, we're in the second week and we're looking at a very important truth, a very important truth for our lives. And I want to begin with this verse. And so as you see it, let's read it together. Read this with me, please. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, I'll tell you what, if you look at that verse and you're here today and you've got doubt and you've got despair, if, you've got, if you're stressed out and you have anxiety about the future, I mean, this is what we need. If we could just take this in, this verse is so filled with promises, God's promises for our lives. And he says that he has a future and a hope for us. So I'm thinking, personally, I'm thinking that, you know, we just read that. Maybe I just pray we have communion and call it a day. What do you think? <laughs> you know, last night they said amen. <laughs> Since you didn't say amen, I guess I'm going to keep preaching for just a few minutes anyway. We need to understand this verse. We need to, we need to know what it means in our life. Because as we peer into God's Word, and we get the reflection of that truth that comes back to us, here's what we want to understand today, first of all, is that, that I would see my past, that we see our past. A lot of times when we see what, you know, God has a plan for our lives, what we see is when we read Scripture, we go, yeah, but God, yeah, but God, don't you know about my past? Of course he does. But we fixate on it and we say, wait a minute, it limits us and it shrinks our heart and our imaginations about what he might do in the future. It causes us to, to mistrust ourselves and others. And God says, wait a minute, so you see your past, but I see your future. And the future that I have for you is more magnificent and amazing and expansive and incredible than you could ever, ever think of on your own. 
And so the first thing that God wants you to hear this morning is simply this, is that, that, well, he's far more powerful than your past, than our past. He can overcome anything in our past. He can take away those heavy chains and set us free. Because we are redeemed, loved children of God, and we heard that last week. So as we think about this verse and this, try to understand it, the one thing that we have to caution as we begin is, first of all, is we make sure we read it correctly. You know, this verse from Jeremiah is available on just about everything you can imagine. It's such a popular verse. You know, it's on graduation cards and coffee cups and T-shirts and Bible covers. I mean, it's everywhere. And oftentimes how it's used in our world today is, well, okay, God, here's the deal. I've got my plans. I've got it all figured out where I want to go. I've got my five-year plan all scripted, ready to go. Now, would you bless it? Would you have my back and bless my plans? And any time we have a little anxiety about that, we pull this verse out and say, well, I, you, know, you know, God's got my back. Is that the right way to see this? I mean, to see that God has my back about my plans, is that what this verse says? And this guy took it a little further. I said, he actually put it on his back. <laughs> it's like, well, wait a minute. How does he read that? <laughs> Can't read it in the mirror, right? I mean, oh, I know. He's memorized it. That's a good step. See, we want to understand this verse correctly. So let's take a look. Let's unpack it and try to see exactly what God is saying. It begins this way. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah is speaking for God, and he says, God says, declares, that he declares, that he wants us to know what's on his mind. If we ask, what's on God's mind? Well, it's us. And us, you, the word there, is plural, so it's all y'all, but it's also each of us individually. God has you, the creator, the sustainer, the master planner of the universe, has you on his mind and his plans for you on his mind. Think of it for a moment. What an incredible promise to know that. What great comfort and, and, and it would remove stress and anxiety if we could just grasp that idea that the master planner is thinking about us today right now. What's on God's mind? We are. Now, he's got a, a vision. He's got a mission. He's got a plan that he is working in this world. And that plan is to reconcile his creation with himself because it's broken. Have you noticed? Our relationship with God and with one another, don't you see it every day? How sin has impacted the world? It's broken everything. So what else is on the mind of God? Reconciliation. Redemption, as we say about. He says, look, this is the plan that I have for you. Now, the, the, what's interesting about this verse is these next few words are translated by different, in different Bible versions in different ways. So let's just take a look at it. Because he says, plans for welfare. And in our world, you know, we need to talk about that. It's like, wait a minute, God's got a plan for my welfare? It's like, am I going on welfare or what's going on? The word there, though, is not it's not just welfare. It's just not well-being. 
Some versions say prosperity. Some say good. What is the word behind this thought? And the word is shalom. Do you know what that word means? It's peace. It's peace. And, and really, when you begin to wrestle with what peace is all about, it, it changes this entire idea of this verse. Because God's plan for us is peace and harmony and wholeness and completion. This is what he wants for our lives. And, and he says, then he says, look, and it's not for evil, this plan. In other words, he doesn't want our lives to be used for evil. He wants our lives to be used to bring peace and wholeness and completion to the world, to be used for good. So God's plan, first and foremost, is about us being people that bring shalom to our world. That we have shalom, we have peace with God, we have wholeness in a relationship. That's what being a forgiven, loved child of God is all about, but that we are able to extend it to this world. And it's in that, it's in that plan of participating with God in what he's doing, it's in that plan that we have a future and a hope that is far greater and magnificent than we can imagine. So when we approach this topic, ask these questions. We know that God's plan is about shalom, about bringing salvation, redemption, peace, wholeness, unity to the end of the world. How can we participate? How are we participating in that plan? For the plans that God has for us is that we would be part of the peace bringing, the shalom bringing that he desires in this world, in this broken world that he loves so much. And you can ask it maybe this way. What do you have in mind? What do you have, what do you have in your mind, God, for my life? Because he's thinking of you today. He, he, he wants you to know that. He wants you to feel that and understand that he has a plan for you to participate in what he is doing in this universe, in this planet, to bring redemption, reconciliation to a broken world. Now, Israel was in a really bad spot when they heard this. Very bad. What had happened? They'd been completely disobedient to God's commands and laws. And as a result, they'd been hauled off into exile. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, had ransacked Israel. They lost their freedom. They lost their temple. They lost their land. And away, the exiles are hauled into Babylon to live in a pagan city. A place that would have been so uh, different and abhorrent to them because of what was going on there. It's like, wait a minute. Didn't God just say that he had plans for good, for welfare people, not for evil? This sounds evil to me. And I think every Israelite was probably thinking the same thing when they heard Jeremiah 29, 11 as the prophet spoke to him. What are you talking about, God? How in the world could you have a plan? Don't you understand where we are right now when we hear these words? Listen, if God knows the plans he has for you, he also knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. You see, you know God's mind, then you have to wrestle with God's method. And when you look at his method, in this case, we find a disobedient Israel. And we have to talk about this. It's tough to talk about. We have to talk about a disobedient 
Israel because they are about to receive or they are receiving the discipline of God. This is God's method. God does discipline people. Why? Why would he do that? Well, I mean, isn't he a loving God, a caring God? Doesn't he, doesn't he want the best for us, a plan for our welfare, and yet he's disciplining Israel? Yeah. Look at the verse uh, 4 in Jeremiah 29. And you see, as God speaks, he says, Look, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. I did that, God says. Wow. Discipline. Harsh. Loving. Good. Plan for my life. Why does God discipline? Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I suspect if, if you've had kids around, you've had this moment with kids, right? You know, and they turn the other way and they just get defiant and, and so forth. As I was growing up, my dad had a very unique way of dealing with this moment. It has to do with the belt that that guy has on, okay? <laughs> he'd pull that belt out. He'd crack that belt, you know, and a lot of times that would be all that was needed for me to say, okay, I understand. You love me. And maybe I didn't understand that then, but I understand it now. He was just trying to protect me, to keep me going the direction that I needed to go so that I wouldn't hurt myself or other people. And sometimes though, I was so obstinate and so hard-headed and so stubborn that he had to apply that belt to a certain part of my anatomy to keep my attention and keep me focused. And in that pain, in that pain, I had to wrestle with, okay, you've got my attention. Now, what is it that's so important? And see, would I say to my dad that he didn't love me? And I know we don't spank too much anymore. I get that. But no, my dad loved me. He loved me so much that he was willing to discipline me. This is what Scripture says about discipline. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Why? Because for the Lord disciplines, well, who, who does he discipline according to this verse? Those he loves, cares about. Those he wants a relationship with. Those he wants to draw closer to him. Now here's the thing, and I want you to understand this. This is very important. We're not saying that everything that bad happens to us is the Lord's discipline. That's, but the context of this story is that they are disobedient and they're being disciplined. Lots of stuff happens in our world today that is not the Lord's discipline that's bad. That's not necessarily what we're talking about because sin is in our world. What I'm trying to help us see is that sometimes the, God's method includes discipline. And he, he says that, and he doesn't do it to punish us. He does it because he loves us. And it's oftentimes, you know, if you've ever been punished, you know, you kind of begin, if you get punished over and over again, you begin to curl up in a little ball and say, oh my gosh, I'm just like worthless. You know, if, if, if that happens to you over and over again, unless you understand this love that's behind it. 
And then you can begin to respond to it and say, you know, somebody loves me so much they, that they would do, they would discipline me, that they must have something very important to communicate. And that's what God is saying to the Israelites and to us today. He's saying, look, don't let, don't let anything in your past, okay? Don't let anything in, your, in, your, in, your, in the way that you've experienced my pa- the past get in the way of your future. Don't limit it because of your past mistakes. Because I have a future for you. And it's for good. And I want to restore you. I want to rebuild you. No matter what's happened in your life, I want you to experience the fullness of my plan for your life. And so he goes on with his method. Not only does he use discipline, but he gives them some instructions for rebuilding while they're in Babylon. And I love this first instruction. It says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat produce. Sounds simple enough. Is that enough of a plan for you? Probably not for us, right, today. But he's, what is he, God saying to Israel? He's saying, first of all, you're going to be there a long time. In fact, you're going to be there 70 years. Some of the people that go to Babylon will never return to Jerusalem. And he's saying, look, in the, in the everyday, the everyday, the ordinary, the normal, the, the, the faithful and thankful events of life. Seek me. Include me. Build your life around me. That is the first step to experiencing your plan, or my plan for your life. And he's just saying, this is, this is you know, don't make it too complex here. Right? Everybody wants to know the end game, where they end up in life. They all have an expectation. He's saying, every day, normal, thankful, faithful, obedient life is where you start. That's all it takes. Anybody ever watch this show? These shows? Okay. Any, any HGTV fans? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Love these shows. And I think they're so attractive because, you know, it's about building houses, right? Or remodeling houses, rebuilding houses. Really, it's not. It's about building homes. And I, and I love the, the phrase, it's almost in every show, you know, you got to have what? A, an open concept home. An open concept kitchen, whatever, you know, the whole idea is that it has to be open because the hope is that everybody's together and there's a completeness and a unity and a harmony that comes from that in the family. And God is saying, look, you can have your open home, but make sure you're, you have an open heart for me and include me in the middle of that home. So important. I had a story just, to, just in between services where somebody told me about a family who would gather with their kids and pray before they go off to school. In the everyday ordinary, faithful, thankful, obedient life, include God. Do you have an open heart, not just an open concept home? God says, we're building this home. And he says, hey, go ahead and multiply because that's what I'm all about. I want more, immeasurably more. I want to reach more people. I want kids. I want grandkids. I want a church family. Let's multiply. I love this grandparenting thing that's showing in this passage. 
As a grandpa now, I just like, yeah, let's do more. I haven't talked my kids into that yet. <laughs> but I want to do more grandparenting, right? It'll be their decision. Because God wants more people in his family. And if you don't have kids or grandkids, you have this family. And he wants more. And he wants us to parent and encourage and help grow. And here's why. You know, the family, the idea of the family, it's the fundamental building block of any country. And, and, and it's where we as people learn forgiveness and service and, and obedience and how to get along. And, and if we, as the farther we drift away from this idea that it takes this family multiplying, living that everyday, ordinary, faithful life together with God in the center, the farther we get away from that idea, the greater the mess our country. See, that was what happened in Israel. They got away from God at the center of their families. And that resulted in disobedience at every level. And we return to that. that. That's where God is calling us to rebuild, not houses, but homes with him at the center. But it doesn't stop there. Then he says this. He says, look, he talks about the welfare of the city. He said, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, what does the word welfare mean here? Take a guess. Peace. And now, all of a sudden, you see the, the idea that not only are we to receive peace, but to give peace. And even in the midst of rebuilding in Babylon, Israel was given the assignment to reach out to a pagan culture where there would have been practices that would have been so aberrant to them Sexual immorality, sacrifice of people, including kids, worship of false gods. And what does God say to the Israelites? It would have been so hard for them to look at their culture and say, I've got to pray for that. God is saying to them and to us today, pray for your city. No matter what's going on, pray for your city. Extend peace. You receive it and extend it to our world. Within, of course, the boundaries of, of what God wants for our lives, but to pray that they would come to know and see in us what it means to be in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's part of God's plan. That's His plan for us, that we would pray for peace, that we would be peace bringers, shalom bringers to this world. Well, now that we know God's mind and His method, what he wants to do, wants us to do, we, we look finally at his motive. And I love this verse because it, it really brings it all home for us. It says, then you will call on me and I will come to pray and, and come and pray to me and I will hear you. He promises to hear us in our prayers. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. People come to me and they say, well, I need, to know, I need to know God's plan for my life. And I say, no, you don't. You need to know God. You need to be in a relationship with Christ. That's what this verse says. And that, that you would seek me, God says, with all of your heart. Not a part-time, you know, fraction of your week. 
that this would be the primary desire of your heart that you would live out his plan for your life, a living sacrifice as we learned in Romans. This is what God wants for you. And he says, look, you will be found by me if you seek me. And the promise is there. His motive is there because he says to the Israelites, hey, someday I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. Going to bring you back. Going to restore everything. Going to make it all like it was. And see, God is saying to us today, someday, I'm not taking you to Jerusalem. I'm taking you to the new Jerusalem. And it's there, it's going to be all okay. It's going to be all fixed. The sin problems that we have, the division. You want to talk about shalom, you will know it firsthand. You will live it every moment for eternity, forever. And this is his motive, that we be reconciled with him. Not just like now, but forever. So as we close today, I just want to ask you, are you seeking him with all your heart? That's what he wants. That's his plan for you, that you would seek him and find him and live for him. Now, here's the thing I know in our culture. I'm guilty. I do not seek him with all my heart. Hard to do. Anybody with me? Yeah, a few hands. Hard, isn't it? So what I want to do as we close today is simply pray that God would continue to, to reveal himself to us that we would seek him with all our hearts. That we wouldn't hold back, not even one little corner of our hearts. Would you pray with me? Now, Father, thank you for the power of your word, the truth it brings to our life, that we might know you more fully, that we might trust you more completely with your plans, not ours. Lord, that we, might, that we might follow you more obediently. And we pray, Father, that in the midst of this crazy world with all its distractions, we pray, first of all, that we would remember what we learned last week, that we're loved children of God, that we are your children, and that you desire more for us. That you want to, to, us to live in that plan that's a future, has a future and a hope that leads to eternity. Father, help us, strengthen us, today with that, that our hearts could be given to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.